Hello, lovely listener. Welcome to Words in Progress, an ongoing conversation between two people who write for a living and for pleasure. Every week we meet up to chat about what we've learned and share our top tips. But first, let us introduce ourselves. I'm Robert Mills, founder of Fourth Wall Content. And I'm Christine Coulthorne, and I run a company called Crockstar. We're currently working together on a website project where I'm working as the content strategist and Rob's doing the content design. In this series, we'll talk through the challenges that crop up and how we get through them. Thank you for joining us on week five of the Words in Progress podcast. I'm here with my lovely colleague, Rob. Hello. Hello, Christine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What have you been up to this week? It's been another busy week. And actually, it's been a nice week because you and I have been collaborating quite a bit on some of the stuff this week. So we've got plenty to share on that. The first thing that I did that was kind of in isolation, really, was more research, uh, revisiting the content that already exists for the topic that we were focusing on and looking at it in relation to some other user groups that we'd identified. So the inventory and order that I've already created, I was adding to that, thinking about these other user groups. And it was a case of looking at that content and seeing which parts that are relevant to those, those user groups. And actually the research, which other people in the team also helped with, uncovered more content that was exclusive to these additional user groups. So now we've got a bigger list of content and the users that each piece maps to. So that was really interesting because we were trying to get a bigger sense of the journeys for these users and where they overlap and where they are different. So it was a very much kind of desk research, recapping, reviewing, revisiting. Is that three words starting with RE? It was remarkable. Yeah, I, th- I feel like when I do Wordle later, I'll have to start with a five-letter word beginning with RE just for that. Oh, yeah. but- yeah, I've not done something with And so now I'm going to spend the rest of the episode trying to think of a five-letter word beginning with RE. You need to be ready. Thank you. Then a couple of vowels in that as well. Good start for a wordle. That's a great, uh, great starting word. <laughs> yeah, and so there was just a lot of filling in gaps and identifying new gaps and just thinking about additional user groups and the content that exists and the content that's needed. So it's like you're thinking about the... You've done the thinking about the sort of zoomed in view of the content and now you're coming outwards and you're seeing the content around the bit that you've been working on so how it all fits together yes because we were we for the content that I've already created I had a had a solid understanding of how people would get to that content and where they would go next but that was still just a part of the bigger journey. And we're, as a, as a team, we're starting to think now about what content we're going to create next. So we're trying to understand the wider journey so that we can make an informed decision on, right, next we're going to create that thing. And so it's part of, that's kind of the first part of why we've been doing that work this week. And then the second part is trying to understand the needs of the additional users and user groups which will, again, inform the wider scope of work. But actually, it also informs the original piece of content I did because I'm trying to get a sense of, will one piece of content serve both of those two core user groups and there's kind of some sub-user groups? Or will they need, it's a web page, so is it, is it one page or is it more than one page? And if it is one page, how does the structure need to change to 
meet the needs of the additional group that we're trying to now include as well. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like it has the potential to be a bit messy and complicated. If we go back to episode one, you talked about doing a content audit using a spreadsheet. So do you use the spreadsheet to map or do you use like a whiteboard type thing? How do you organize or visualize your thoughts or, you know, map what it all looks like so that so that you can understand it and, and others in the team can understand it? Basically, both the things that you mentioned. So for me as an individual, when I was kind of doing that research and that mapping, I was back in that spreadsheet, adding to that, uh, which just made sense to me because I just find spreadsheets an easy way to kind of collate information, organize, manage, sort, and, and think about content in different ways. But as a team, we used a Miro board and we did some user journey mapping. Yes. Now, the user journey mapping is always extremely interesting. We did it with our immediate team and some of the wider team. So we had some subject matter experts in there, didn't we? We did. To help us work out where users have been before, how they get to this content, where they go next, what else happens, what do they have to do or what do we want them to do so that their uh, overall needs are met. And actually, I worried about that session. I thought it would be really difficult to explain what we wanted to do. And actually, those fears were unfounded. It went really, really smoothly. It was, it was really, I want to say enjoyable. It was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. Because, well, our facilitator was brilliant um, and explained what it was that we were doing really well. And I think that really helped. We'd also mapped out a bit of what we knew already, haven't we? So we we yeah. had some assumptions that, and some things that we knew that were backed up with data. So we knew some parts of the process, so we popped those in. So when the wider team came together, we could see the skeleton of the, the journey map and we asked people to add in bits that were missing. Yeah, I think that prep work that we did beforehand really allowed us to get the most out of the session. So I'd gone in this weekend, added what the users were doing at each stage of the journey. And there were five different stages we had in this particular map. And I also added in any existing bits of content that were uh, would allow them to do that thing at each stage. And then we also were thinking about, we had sections for the user needs, touch points, the pains and the opportunities. And so I think, yeah, having stuff already in there, having post-its already on that map, just allowed us to like really get stuck in immediately as soon as we all jumped onto that call and that session. And yeah, we had different user journeys that we wanted to discuss and we spent the most time on the first one, but actually the overlaps then were quite significant. So by focusing on the first one, we, we very much covered lots of the key points of the, the following maps as well. So it was definitely, it was an enjoyable session. It was interesting. It was useful. It was all the things we'd want from a collaborative whiteboarding workshop. <laughs> Do you know, I'd buy an interactive collaborative workshop session from you. You've sold it so well. I think the thing that I also really liked about that session was that the focus was not on the content. The focus was on what is the user doing or what is the organization asking the user to do. So there were some parts of that process that I didn't know what they were supposed to do. But having the subject matter experts in, they, they were able to say, okay, well, what happens next is X, Y, Z. Um, And so that was good. Obviously, it filled in parts of the process for us in terms of our knowledge. It also got me thinking about 
when we're looking at the content strategy and how people across the organization get involved in the creation of content, what are their roles? So obviously the subject matter expert knows a lot about both what what the process is, the timings, you know, all of the details of that. They also have a lot of knowledge about perhaps language that they use, should use, want to use, shouldn't use. And I thought what was interesting there was because we weren't focused on the content itself, we were able to take a slightly higher level view and get alignment on what are users trying to do at this stage, what's important to them there, what's the thing that we absolutely need to tell them. There's some eligibility criteria here, or there's a timing issue there, or actually, if they don't know this here, well, by the time they get over to there, they're going to be upset or they're not going to know about something. So that was that was good to get that shared view of what happens, what's supposed to happen, and what do users know at which stage. Yeah, and I think and beyond the outcomes of the workshop, what I was really impressed with and what I think really helped us to make the most of that time was that everybody had a clear role who was attending. So we had a brilliant facilitator who was timing, set timers for different segments of the workshop and really pulled us back in when we were maybe straying into, like you say, discussing the content and so on. So he really kept us on track quite wonderfully. And then you and I were recording user needs on post-it notes as as people were just chatting freely. And then our incredible user researcher was also adding lots of notes as people were saying things. And then the subject experts were free to just talk and share their expertise and their thoughts and their experiences. We asked people to just put into the chat whatever the question was that we asked them, you know, drop their answers in there. And we were able to pull those into post-it notes. So on the client side, they didn't have to worry about creating a post-it note and typing in. They were just like, right, you just talk and throw everything at us and we'll get it down. And, you know, we've got some kind of follow-up shed, follow-up sessions booked in to start refining the user needs, et cetera. But I think it was a really, I just think that type of tool as in a user journey map or that type of framework really helps bring together lots of different information. I think it helps the stakeholders and the subject experts just focus on their expertise and not have to worry about how do I use this? How do I do that? Where do I put that? Again, as I said, they can just kind of talk and share. But the outcomes of that, and now we've got that map, it'll help us prioritize work. It'll help us make informed decisions. It's helping us understand the wider context and user journey, as we say. And so I think it's just a nice way to bring together actually an incredible amount of information into a a structured place. Yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. And actually, yeah, I hadn't thought about how much or how easy we tried to make it for the subject matter experts by not having to have them faff about with digital post-it notes and stuff. You're right, they were able to just talk and, and chip in. And they obviously are used to working together they were able to talk quite freely. There was enough genuine rapport in the in the group. It felt it felt quite energizing, actually. That's the word. I thought afterwards, I felt quite invigorated. I think it was important that we, as the team helping the client, actually got out of their way. So you know, we, we don't want to be spending 10 minutes of a session talking through how to use Miro when think how much information they could share in that 10 minutes. And so I think that worked really well just like you say making it easy for them to contribute in a meaningful way so that was that was a really key part of this week and you and I were both in that session but I know you've been doing lots of clever wonderful exciting things 
without me? How dare you? What have you been up to? Rob, I would never, ever do anything exciting, fun without you. As you well know, I can't do any work unless we've had a catch-up. We've talked about cats, books, uh, what else? What we've looked at on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that sums us up. (laughs) We've looked at cats on Instagram. (laughs) We've done it all. If you would like to be best friends with Rob and I, just send us cat pictures. Yeah, it's really easy. Just ask. It's a low bar to entry. (laughs) (laughs) So if I had done any work, here's what I did do. So where I'd gotten to with the proposition was I had done it and talked about it, shared it a bit. Um, And so over the last few days, I've looked at the proposition with some colleagues across the organisation. And what I wanted to do was see whether we could take the proposition into different areas and say, right, your content, this kind of content here probably shouldn't go on the site because X, Y, Z reasons. So let's look at some of your content and let's look at the proposition and let's see if, if we're missing anything, if something is ambiguous whether this type of content that you want to put on the site will pass or not. And so so that was really interesting because we got some insights. Well, I got some insights that about the format of the proposition. And also I had been struggling over a few bits of the wording. I made some revisions to the document. I actually ended up making it a little bit shorter as well. So it had gotten quite long. And I'd been, you know, that phrase, like I'd been worrying it, like you're sort of, mulling something you kind of can't leave it alone that's sort of what I'd had for a couple of weeks so anyway I I made a a new document and I did a version two in case you're interested I had made the document landscape but I popped it back to portrait wow that's a big decision because I took out a column that had said content type because that I got some feedback that that probably wasn't that helpful we were trying to move people away from producing content perhaps in the way that they'd always done and being more digital focused when they think about getting information out there. So rather than I'm going to produce X type of document, getting them to think, ah, I have some updated information to put out there. So I took out that column and it made it a little bit slimmer. Anyway, whenever I do something that I want to share with people, I always want it to look appealing and easy to read. And so I was just pleased because it looked a bit better and it was down to two pages. So what does go on the website is on page one and what doesn't is on page two. So yeah, that was good. And I've stopped worrying it. I've put it down for a bit and we're going to pick it up again, probably in a sprint or so. And just we're lining up a few more conversations with people, but I think it's probably 90% there, I think. I'm intrigued by this idea of like what done looks like for something like a proposition because I know that it's been you've been working on it over several sprints and as you just said there uh, it's going to continue to, to kind of be worked on in future sprints at least one more future sprint how do you like when you go into into a task like that creating a proposition do you ever have any expectation as to how long that might take or how many people you want to test it with or is it very much I'm going to get it to this stage you know you've got a process for getting it to a certain point and then Beyond that, it really much, you know, the old content strategy, classic answer of it depends. It depends how long it's going to take based on, I mean, so many factors, people's availability, how much refinement is needed, how much feedback is needed, et cetera, et cetera. I, yeah. Is there anything around that that you can share? Because I'm just interested in, in the span of that work. That is a really good question. The answer to whether or not it's done 
is probably when the revisions or when you show people and thoughts and ideas come back that are around things that you've either already discussed and made a decision over and maybe it's a language choice and you've thought about all of the options and you've decided on that one so it's when you're you're not hearing anything new back there's also a thing that people often do when they say oh but what if and then they make something up and it's not because they're trying to catch you out it's because it basically the thing that they're looking at kind of meets all of the immediate needs and so they're they're pushing those scenarios out a little bit to find where the thing wouldn't work and actually some people are really good at doing that but some people really go to to an extreme stress case kind of scenario straight away so when you get to those cases or those discussions where it's like what if this 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 and then you can talk about okay well has that happened can we mitigate that kind of idea is that likely to happen so it's it's not really a sense of time although I always think these things take longer than you think because you need to understand the organization on it in a way where you understand what their purpose is, what are they trying to do, what is their responsibility and what isn't. And that can take a bit of time to unearth because there's a lot of talk in organisations about, oh, well, we have to do this. And that that sometimes isn't true. That's sometimes a, a cultural idea of we have the responsibility to do this. And so once you've got to a point where you have understood the what the org is trying to do, what their actual remit is, when that's a public sector organisation, that's often a little bit easier because it tends to be written down and publicly available. And you also start to have discussions that are around what if this and that it will be a scenario that hasn't happened or would never happen. And or you get to conversations where you've already thought about those scenarios or word choices, for example. So you get to a point where it, this sounds really vague, but it sort of feels done. <laughs> Um, you you aren't hearing anything that you haven't thought of or is likely to happen so that's a, a point where you can say okay let's pause this for now or let's not add to this for now let's move on to something else with always the caveat that when something new happens we will revisit these are documents or assets that we will keep looking at we'll keep refining because organizations change um we don't want to say that is done set in stone we're never going to change it yeah brilliant because i think i mean all of that was informative and excellent and outstanding of course <laughs> i love the as is everything that you say but i loved a bit at the end because i suppose in a way the answer is it's never done in that, you know, it always needs to be like refined and reviewed. So it's just having, getting to the point where it's done enough for this set of circumstances or for this point in time. And I really, I really love that because that also extends that so much other stuff that we do in, in our line of work, not just, you know, like propositions and so on, but it can be quite hard to get others comfortable with that, I think, in terms of like, yeah, it's it's done enough and now this. And we may leave it and come back to it or we just may keep refining and iterating. And that's true with content and, and other things. And so it's always a very, that notion of when is something done is always a recurring theme in mm-hmm. certainly the sort of projects I work with. And I think true of many of yours as well. And so that's why I asked that question. I was just intrigued as to how that related to the, the proposition. Yeah, I think you've you've raised a really good point of bringing others along 
with you and making making sure that they're comfortable with when is something done because it is a little bit different to perhaps other things that are worked on in organizations particularly content where historically you would work on something and then it's done and then it's signed off and then you've got your classic final underscore final underscore final this time in the name of the document and so the idea that that something is finished and it is irrevocably no what how do I say it irrevocably it's completely finished (laughs) it's completely done we like that idea of something being finished and then it's moving off the to-do list and we don't really like the idea that that doesn't really work um but I think it's okay to have things that are maybe they're always at 98 percent done yeah I feel like this conversation around done is almost an entire episode in itself because when you think about it like some of the tools and artifacts and things that we we help organizations with a style guide and defining their workflow those kind of things are also only ever done to a point only ever done for a certain as i said a certain period of time and by things not being reviewed and refined. And even if you review something and it's still completely correct as is, at least you know that rather than not go through that process and it not being correct, you just don't realize. I think some of the challenges that we help people with and some of the circumstances that they're in are because something's being created and and that's it. And it's just fixed in time. And that's why I find it such an interesting, with something like a workflow, it could be correct for a significant period of time. But then if something changes in the organization or the people change, you know, we'll go to all the reasons, but suddenly that workflow may not be entirely accurate. Whereas it, where it, it was fit for purpose for so long, but something changes and then suddenly, hey, presto. You just made me think of something. Do you think that our idea of that fixed in stone workflow comes from like factory work where you have a, production line and you have people doing this certain things at certain times so that what comes out at the end is an exact copy of the thing that went before it and the thing that went before that because we're ensuring consistency and actually that doesn't really work that doesn't really apply to other types of work where you can't know everything you can't have 100% knowledge about something because it's an idea that's moving and changing because it's politics because it's society because it's people and people are always changing yeah absolutely and when you so i'm gonna share a story about when i my gap year in new zealand many many years ago and i worked i did i tried to do lots of seasonal work and and jobs that i wouldn't do back home and one of those jobs i was on the production line in a fish trimming factory so the fish would come in i know nobody else can see christine's face because this is an audio medium (laughs) <laughs> but her face tells me I should stop the story now, but I'm going to, I've committed. I've committed. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'll have to share with you a photo when I, I had the whole hair net thing on and all sorts, you know, welly, yes. Wellington boots and overalls and stuff. Anyway, so the fish would come in at one end of the, of the warehouse, the factory, as in literally caught fresh from the sea. And by the time they went through the production line, or dare I say the workflow, the fish was, I don't want to be too like, gruesome, but it was it was a fillet that had been skinned and boned and everything, and it was in a box ready to go straight to a shop. 
And so that was a very linear process, right? Like you had to, the fish had to arrive, then you had to do all these things and everybody had a role in that process. I had to cut out the head bone, for example. I had no experience. It was ridiculous that they even gave me the job, but I, I think I was good at it. And so everybody had a clear role, but like that thing had to happen before that thing could happen, before that thing could happen. And eventually, the, you know, the fish went through all these stages and became a sellable, edible product. But that's very linear, right? But like the, a lot of the work that we do, I'm desperately trying to bring this back to content. <laughs> I'm thinking about fish, I'm not going to lie. Okay. A lot of the work we do, even if the content is linear to a point, request, plan, draft, review, approve, publish, etc. It's not really a line, it's a loop, isn't it? In terms of, okay, published, now what follows? Uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, governance, maintenance, archiving. I suppose it would end if it was archived or deleted, but really it's like, it's more of a loop than a line. And so I think that kind of production line technique or method that you mentioned is a part of a workflow, but not the entire workflow. Yeah, maybe our mental model is not fit for what it is that we're trying to do. Because you might have the same bit that gets done at different parts of the process. So you might do a quality check or a, a check for amends. You might do it during the contents creation. And then at the end, before it gets published, you might test the content with users before it gets published, but you might do that after as well. You might translate the content just before it gets published, but you might translate it before it goes for amends. You know, there's lots of the, the, there could be lots of repetition. There's lots of little mini loops as well as once it's published, going back to what's the content request? Why do we look at content in the first place? Because it's not working because people are calling up to say, I don't understand this. So yeah, workflows. Actually, I've also been looking at workflows over the last few days as well. So we've been mapping the existing one, well, trying to map the workflow. And the one of the questions that I keep coming back to, which is really common, this I feel like this always happens, is do we have permission or authority to own this process or these processes? Because you might have slightly different ones for different types of content. So do we have the permission? Do we have the authority to do this? We're going to ask people to do something slightly differently, perhaps, because whatever we've got at the moment isn't working. And how do we know it isn't working? Because you've brought us in as a team to help with this process. So maybe it's working for some people, but not others, in which case it's not working. If we're getting lots of calls to the call center, lots of emails, uh, lots of unhappy customers or or users, it's not working. So it's a slight, so it can be a potentially derailing thought. Do I have permission to do this? Because you, if you think about that too much, <laughs> you will come to the conclusion that you do not for reasons, those reasons will change all the time, but you'll probably come to the conclusion that you shouldn't be doing this. However, I would like you to try and resist that thought and just try and map the Map the process because one thing that organizations never, ever, ever do is understand what it is that it looks like when they're trying to create content. They think it is the steady conveyor belt of people just adding to the Word document that's getting smoothly along and people sprinkle their words on it, sprinkle some commas, and it's getting better and better as it goes through. And it is not, dear listener, uh, as you well know, because you're listening. So the idea that if we map it, 
we're somehow containing the chaos they're in. And then we can show what actually happens and we can say, look, this do, do we agree that this is what's happening? Can we now look at places to make improvements? Are there bottlenecks? Are there people that are missing, that are missed out of this process that should be in? Are we using translation at the end where we should be using them at content creation stage, for example? So the desire to own and tame that process is quite strong the feeling of having the authority to do that, I feel like that gets in the way. It's important because if you really don't have permission or authority, you're spending a lot of time on something that that is potentially wasted. But if you get to that stage, that's a clear sign to engage those people that you need to, perhaps in a different way. Um, Perhaps you need to go back a step and explain what you're doing, what your purpose is, maybe do some listening. What problems are they seeing? Um, how can we make improvements so that overall the the um, organisation can do better, meet its targets, all of that kind of stuff? So yeah, workflow is one of those ones. I mean, I think you have loads of thoughts on this, but workflow is one of those one of those bits of work that seems so easy when you start, and then you start, and then whew. yeah, I think I said in an early episode how much I love workflows, which I know sounds ridiculous, but it's entirely the truth. And for lots of the reasons that you just outlined there with, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, it seems straightforward. Well, we just do this, then that, then that, then that, then that, and that. And there's people doing, people at each stage doing their thing. But it does get, it does get messy and murky and complex really quickly because if, if the person midway through the workflow doesn't know what's happened to the content before it gets to them, I think that causes an issue because they may then almost revert the content back or add something. And there's already been decisions around like why that thing's not in there or why it's done this way and not that way. And so it's, there's, there's so many layers to it. It's understanding what the process needs to be. It's understanding who needs to be involved at each stage of the process and them having a clear role and remit. And then it's also getting them to understand how they fit into that wider process, not just that particular stage. So if their role is to review content for this, this, and this, spelling and grammar, factual accuracy, and is it in line with the style guide, whatever the review criteria is for that person, I still think it's important that they understand the process prior to them and to some degree understanding what happens next as well. Um, and so, yeah, it is, it is one of those things that it seems straightforward. In my experience, never is. And also workflow is such a great way in to understanding lots of other issues within an organization and starting to understand more about organizational structure and politics and culture and things like that. I can see that you do actually really love it. I really do. I'm so much fun at parties because I just churn out my fish trimming story and then I try and talk about workflow. Uh, And this is why it's so easy to be my best friend. Someone there he is. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Let's think about what we learned then over the last week or so. I think, and I won't go into detail because I kind of talked about it earlier, but having a framework to bring together lots of people and information, i.e., a user journey map, it works really well. I think it has there's multiple benefits to having some kind of collaborative structure and task to bring information together. But the other thing I learned this week, 
is not to rush the content. So I haven't created any content this sprint. And that was a conscious decision, a collective conscious decision by the team, because we really wanted to take the time to figure a few more things out that would then inform how the content I've created needs to be refined. And so I really appreciated having the time to work with everybody to think about additional user journeys, broader user journeys, and thinking about the bigger picture. And that will only serve to make the content more useful and usable, I think. So um, yeah, don't rush the content. And I think you may have mentioned it in a previous episode, this kind of creation culture and pressure and expectation. And we haven't created anything new this week in terms of actual content. And that was without doubt the right decision. I thought it was interesting what you said there about getting having that as a, a collective decision as well. So you'd obviously explained your thinking on not not rushing to keep creating content. Yeah, I can't. I, it was in one of the it was either in a stand up or it was in one of the meetings where I'd raised just yeah a concern around the lack of understanding of the bigger picture was impacting my on my ability to progress this particular piece of content. And everybody felt the same. And I think that issue was uh, feeding into other people's kind of roles and tasks in in different ways as well. So it was no hardship to get to that conclusion that, okay, we need to like actually take a step back and and do this workshop. I think everybody very much was like, yeah, that would make sense because we also need to think about what comes next and uh, what we need to prioritize and focus on. So yeah, everybody was in agreement from uh, as soon as I kind of mentioned that. Funny, isn't it? How we're both in content roles, but the so far we're a few weeks in, you've created one piece of content and iterated it. And I've done a proposition that's probably only just about decent enough to kind of put down. And I've done that prioritization checklist that is only on draft number one. We haven't really tested that yet. It feels like we haven't produced a lot um, and we're starting on the workflow, but we've done an awful lot. Yeah, the content creation is a, a small percentage of certainly how my time has been spent so far, but I can only create the content to meet the needs of the organization and the users by doing all the non-creation stuff. Yeah, I think it's funny when you come to content design and you've done, say you've been a copywriter, you're used to getting a brief and then writing and there's a kind of value on writing and there's a value on creation as we um, have talked about before. And when you're not doing those things, you can worry that you, maybe it doesn't look like you're doing anything, but you're doing so much. You're building relationships, you're understanding the status quo, you're investigating user needs, you're understanding what the organization does, what the processes are, where the problems are. Because you can't write a piece of content that fixes problems if you don't know what you're trying to say, to whom, and the problem that you're trying to fix. So it takes time to get all of those bits together. I think that's true of like other work as well that involves writing. So as you well know, I don't think anybody else listening would know until I'm about to say I'm writing fiction in my spare time. And if I spend more time planning the book and the individual chapters and the individual story arcs and the overarching story arcs. And it's in in my head, it's actually four books and thinking about what happens in book one and then gets picked up in book three and all that kind of really, I just love that stuff, the kind of story mapping across individual books and chapters and 
the whole series, the more time I spend up front planning those things, the easier the writing is and the better the writing is. Whereas if I just was like, oh, I'm just going to write, you know, I'll just start the next chapter and haven't really thought about what's in chapters before that and what's going next. It's just, I can still write, but it's, and then find I'm spending more time rewriting. And so I think it's true of anything where, where you're creating and you're writing, the more research and planning and prep and understanding that you do up front, whilst it can be, sometimes it can be frustrating. You just want to get to the writing. And sometimes it feels, you feel a bit like, Oh, I don't, you know, people expecting more to see more words, but I think it makes the writing part of it easier. Yeah. And more effective. Yeah. Also, excellent tease to our next season of Words in Progress, where Rob and I will attempt to write our respective novel and script and talk about all of the pain we're going through. But that is not this season. That's next season, folks. Yeah, we're, you know, might not happen for four years because I need to get myself psyched up for that one. <laughs> We've got four novels to write. <laughs> Nothing like... Uh, Going straight in the deep end. I'm not going to, I've never written a novel before. I'm not going to start with one. I'm going to do a four book series. Anyway. <laughs> yes. So I've lost my trail of where we are in the structure of the podcast, but I think maybe it's with you to share what you've learned. I'm going to share what I've learned. Uh, yes. I thought, I thought over the last few days and my mind kept returning to a couple of conversations that I'd had that felt a little bit difficult this week. And, and I was reflecting on why, why they were a bit difficult. You know, it wasn't aggro, anything like that. It wasn't upsetting. It wasn't difficult in that way. It was difficult, I think, because I was trying to persuade that I was trying to kind of tell people that this was the way to do something. And they were a bit resistant. And what I should have done is just had no agenda and just switched from, oh, I'm trying to get them to agree this thing to, okay, what's worrying them or what's on their mind or why won't this work for them? And so I think I wasn't listening as well as I could. I was listening with a view to say, to counter the arguments um, or the thoughts with, oh yeah, but this way will mean X, Y, Z. So listening, 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 listening is the thing that I learned slash relearned this week. Um, I think if when you're having a conversation and you think, oh, I'm really spending a lot of energy trying to convince someone of something, pause and say, right, am I doing the right thing for them and for me here? We'd come out of that user journey mapping exercise feeling energized. And that's a really great feeling that that feeling where you've made progress and you're all aligned. But to get there, you have to spend a lot of time listening. And so having a, a meeting or a just a session where you have no agenda other than to listen, you don't have to fix anything, you don't have to counter anything, you don't have to say yes, but um, just listen and say, okay, I understand or I hear you or okay, thank you for telling me. That is that's a great way to spend time and to build relationships. Love that. I feel like that's also a top tip rolled into one. Well, all learning is learning. All top tips are learning. All tip tops <laughs> are learning tips. <laughs> we have been talking for a long time. <laughs> Feels it. <laughs> no, the top tipper is you, young man. Yeah. Tell us. 
My top tip this week is to ask all and anything to really identify the real, in inverted commas, the real problems that need to be solved. And so I find, I often find that I'm like an annoying small child where it's like, why, 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 why? And I'm quite comfortable being annoying. It's not a problem (laughs) for me. But really asking as many and whatever questions you need to ask to to get to like the nitty gritty. What's the real thing we're trying to solve here? Because sometimes it can be the thing that's on the surface, surface, and sometimes it's you have to dig a bit deeper to be, ah, okay, that actually is a symptom of the thing we're trying to really solve. And so an example is, is the problem that people have access to the CMS and that they've got publishing rights within that CMS, or is the problem that they are publishing content that isn't fit for purpose? They're two different problems, they're two different things. And so sometimes it, it only takes a few questions and you're like, aha, 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 aha. And sometimes you just have to keep asking and you might think you've got it, but then like it comes up again in, a, in, in another period of time. You're like, oh, okay, that, that's the real problem. It, you know, it, it depends how, it can take different amounts of time. But yeah, just keep asking questions until you're like, okay, that's the problem we need to solve. That's a brilliant tip. There's a technique, isn't there, when you said about, saying why isn't there a technique called five whys there is yeah I like that I like that a lot and also I suppose asking questions asking the same question but maybe phrasing it slightly differently could help yeah asking the same question to different people is always really interesting as well getting different perspectives um yeah and leaving silence we've talked about this before I think when we were talking about user research we were saying that the user researcher left gaps after the person had stopped talking and then leave left enough time didn't rush to fill the silence and then often the person that's being interviewed then says something else and that often that extra thing is a real nugget of insight because they've been given the space to think about it hear themselves saying something and then kind of keep going yeah i think that that pattern it's really important because if there aren't those gaps and it's just right, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. If somebody does think, ah, actually, I also wanted to say that, but the person they're speaking to has already asked another question or is like further along, sometimes it can be hard to, to then bring it back. And so things will, things will go unsaid. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, um, again, it's a, it's a valuable skill of, of a facilitator and an interviewer. Speaking of which... I meant to say earlier, but I forgot. I was also thinking, you know, when we were talking about workflow, I was also thinking about how even books are not set in stone. They're never finished, are they? Because you get new revisions. So even the thing that digital publishing replicates, which is physical publishing, even that you can get versions, reprints, forwards added, edits done. Even books are iterative. I'm excited for season two of words in progress where we talk about our fiction writing which is completely fictitious in many ways (laughs) (laughs) and where we can hopefully talk about narratives and 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 kind of storytelling techniques and anyway i'm going completely off tangent and so i'm going to be silent and give you enough time to fill it with something sensible and episode ending Well, that just gives me time to fill the silence to say thank you for joining us on episode five. And we are looking forward to chatting to you some more next week. Can't wait. Take care. Bye-bye.
Hey, just a bit of a plug here for the Cropstyle content community that Rob and I run. It's a free-to-join space for all you lovely people working in content. The community brings people together to share tips, solve problems and chat things through, so no more struggling on your own through tough challenges and lonely afternoons. If you sign up, you'll get our newsletter, invites to our monthly events, plus access to our Slack group, where we ask and answer each other's questions, have a bit of a laugh, and obviously share pictures of our pets. It's a lovely supportive space, and we'd love to see you in there. Want to join? Of course you do. The sign-up form is on crockstar.com community. And of course, if you join, you'll also get access to all the recordings of our past events. We recently had a panel on helping you get a job in content, we had a plain English expert and we've also had a session on translation. So there's something for everyone. See you there soon.